What would it look like for you to proactively pursue people that are different than you and to not avoid differences, but rather when you coincide with people that are different than you spiritually or philosophically or politically, you press in and you embrace and you say, let's spend more time talking about what we're for rather than what we're against. That's what leadership looks like. Well, hey there. If we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. It was just a handful of years ago now that I coincided with a guy named Naftali Tesler. And like most people that meet Naftali, I can confidently say that my life has been just a little bit different ever since. You see, Naftali is one of the most excitable, enthusiastic, energized, extroverted people you will ever meet. But in addition to all of that, he's just a leader that I deeply respect and admire. Um, And so you can imagine I was just so beyond excited whenever after starting the business, literally weeks into starting the business, Naftali called me and he said, hey, man, I'd love to work with you uh, in a session to create my personal mission statement, my personal core values and my personal vision for my life. And I'll never forget those two days that we spent together because we dug deep into who he is, what his goals are as a leader, the role that he plays in his career and with his family and in his community. And it was through all of those questions and all of that context gathering that I got to learn so much about the Orthodox Jewish community that he's a part of in Brooklyn, New York. And in the process of learning about them both in those two days, but since then as well, I've just become so fascinated by this community because it is just such a remarkable um, illustration of what it means in so many ways to take your faith and actually make it uh, come into practice in your day-to-day actions, your rhythms, and your routines. And in so many ways, uh, I've kind of viewed it as holding some core principles for what it means to practice healthy growth. And so over the past couple of years, I've gotten to know Naftali so much better. He's introduced me to another new friend and customer named Simcha. And we've actually started to do quarterly work both with Simcha and Yasi G's team in New York City, but then also Naftali and Hershey Wertheimer's team uh, with Hamaspic Kings County there in New York as well. And so I've been spending way more time within this community. And every single time I get to go to New York, I just have so many questions. I want to I know so much about what makes them tick and what makes them go and why why is it that they they work so well together and why is it that they're so frugal but also generous why is it that they care so deeply about blessing each other why is it that they share so many meals together i just have so many questions about why they do what they do and it's in the process of asking all those questions but also in the process of observing the way that they live that i've learned so much and i've been so inspired and one of the things that i've learned is that so much of the way that they live applies directly with something that we talk about with regard to business and life all the time on this podcast. And that's the idea of what it means to practice healthy growth. And so it was in my last trip to New York that Naftali gave me a ride to the airport. And we just had such a good conversation that I got out of the car. And shortly after I went through security, got on the plane and I was just sitting there 
gosh, for 10 minutes before the plane took off. And I just pulled out my phone and I just started jotting down some notes. I started jotting down some lessons and nothing super complex, but I just wanted to have some reminders for myself that I could maybe share with others as well as to some of the takeaways that I, I was leaving New York with from my time observing and learning from and asking questions from this Orthodox Jewish community in the city of New York. And so I I spent maybe 10, 15 minutes jotting this down, and then it was about a week and a half to two weeks removed from that that just recently I, I posted this list along with a few photos on LinkedIn. And at first, a couple people commented and said, those are some really nice thoughts. And, uh, you know, I was glad that people were getting value from it. And then it just went bonkers. <laughs> I, I spent about, gosh, probably five hours not checking my phone, not checking my computer. And when I came back to it, I think it had something like 800 interactions. And, and now it's up to over 2,300 interactions. And it's just still going zoom, zoom. And it says that over 115,000 people have in some way engaged with the post in some way. And it's just absolutely blowing my mind. And I think it speaks to not my brilliant writing. It doesn't speak to my observational ability. It doesn't speak to any of that. It speaks to the power of the fundamentals of what this community is practicing. And so anytime that you have something in business that seems to resonate with people, this is really, really important for you to know. Anytime you have something in business that seems to resonate with the marketplace, seems to resonate with the audience that you're serving, the question you always have to ask is, well, why is that working and how can we amplify it? I've been teaching this principle to business leaders for years now that so often we ask why something doesn't work, but Too rarely do we ask, why is something actually going well and how can we double down on it? And so one of the things with regard to this post is clearly this resonated with people. It was a message that people really connected with. I was just delighted that I was able to share what I've learned from this incredible community in a few short sentences. And I said, well, how could we double down on that? And and our team talked about it a little bit and we said, well, what if we just kind of elaborated a little bit more on the principles that we observed and the things that we learned in New York and we put that on the podcast. And so here we are today. And so with that, I just wanted to walk through the seven lessons. And I want to walk through these seven lessons, not because I think they're going to be revolutionary for any of us, but rather because I think our job as leaders is oftentimes not to revolutionize, but rather to remind. And what I think that this community in Brooklyn, New York does so well And one of the reasons behind their success, both in business and in life and in their relationships, is that they keep their eye on the ball of what matters most. And so one of the things that you'll recognize in these seven lessons, in these seven observations, is that they really tie into what it looks like to prioritize the things that matter most. And so it's through that lens and through that context that I'd like to walk through these seven lessons. And what I'm going to do is I'll read you what I wrote for each lesson on LinkedIn. And if you want to go check out the post too, we'll put the link to that in the show notes of this episode. And then maybe I'll elaborate a little bit just based on kind of what I've seen and how I've observed all of this play out. Okay, so let's jump into the first lesson. Rest requires discipline. And here's what I wrote. I'm so inspired by their relentless commitment to honoring and practicing Shabbat. 
That is their day of rest, and they take it so very seriously. They exercise extreme intentionality in their work and family rhythms all week to ensure that Friday evening to Saturday evening is truly rest. I become so enamored by the way they intentionally practice Shabbat. And Shabbat is the word that they use for what we would call Sabbath or a day of rest. And I think many of us probably know the story in Genesis that this is rooted in and also the fact that it's rooted in the Ten Commandments. But the story goes that God created the universe and he created the earth and he created the wind and the waves and the moon and the stars and the sun and everything within it. And he said it was good. And then he created humanity and he said it was very good. And after six days of work, it says that on the seventh day, he rested. And then there's a commandment in the Ten Commandments that says that we should reserve one-seventh of our days for rest, for honoring and glorifying the God of the universe that created us. And I once saw a pastor sitting down with another pastor friend, and they were recording. It was something like a podcast or a video or something like that. And This pastor, an older guy, he looked at the younger pastor and he said, let me ask you a question. You ever murder anyone? (laughs) And the younger pastor said, no, no way. I've never murdered anyone. He said, good, I'm glad to hear that. And and then he said, okay, let me ask you another question. You ever commit adultery? (laughs) And he said, no, thankfully, no. I'm I'm happily married to my wife. And no, I, I haven't committed adultery. And then he said, okay, let me ask you one more question. The older pastor looked at the younger pastor and he said, have you ever worked on the day of rest? Have you ever worked on the Sabbath? And the younger pastor just put his head in his hands and said, oh my gosh. And then the older pastor looked at him and he said, because you know what? It's on the same list and therefore it probably warrants us paying attention to it. And so what does that mean? And why is it on the same list? Why in this list of commandments that have stood the test of time for thousands of years of being the fundamental ethical laws of our society, why is it that a day of rest made it onto the list? That's a pretty interesting thing. Out of all of the things that you could have put on this list, that's one of the things that you put. And I think it touches on what this community in Brooklyn so deeply understands is that they understand that, man, you You are a finite human being, but the God that created you is infinite. And if you have the ability to relinquish control and say, this is God's stuff and I'm just managing it. And therefore, because I am finite, because I am limited, because I am not able to do it all, I'm going to invest one day in a day of rest where I do no work. That is going to be an investment both in what I can do long term, but it's also going to be a testament to what God can do without my help. What would it look like? for you to follow their example and say, one-seventh of my week, I'm not going to work. One-seventh of my week, I'm not going to do things that are related to my income or my influence. I'll tell you, this is something that I really strive to practice in my day of rest. My Sabbath is on Sundays, and I do my best to remove social media from my phone and not answer emails and not really even respond to texts that are related to work. And our team knows that, man, for that day, we're going to keep that day guarded because that day is sacred. And it serves as an incredible reminder of the fact that I am limited, I am finite. I am scarce, and so are my resources. 
But thankfully, it's not all on me because I believe in a God that is infinite and unlimited and absolutely abundant in his resources. And so that when I engage in this day of rest, I loosen my grip and I allow myself to engage in a posture of worship in the God who made all of this possible. But what we need to recognize is that rest requires discipline. And this is what's so inspiring about that community is they are relentless with their commitment to honoring Shabbat. This is one of my takeaways and something that I've been working on since the last time that I visited New York is, man, if you want to experience true deep-seated rest, it's going to take a lot of work. And that almost sounds counterintuitive, but rest is work. Make no mistake, they work really hard, like really hard, to make sure that Friday by sundown, they've got everything wrapped up, tidy, clean, so that Friday evening all the way to Saturday evening, they are able to focus on good food, great people, worshiping the God that created them, learning, spending time with family, napping, resting, and then they enter into Sunday and certainly Monday refueled, restored, revitalized, and renewed. What an amazing example. Rest requires discipline. Okay, let's move to the next one. The next lesson is that generosity can be cultural. Uh, I kind of stumbled into this one. We were working on creating the vision uh, document for Yasi G, uh, which is one of the organizations that I work with up there. And as we were talking about their vision for their finances, because one of the things we always discuss whenever we teach vision to the teams that we work with and whenever we work on that And whenever we work on drafting their vision charter, one of the things we talk about is let's not just talk about what we want quantitatively for your finances, although quantitative metrics are good. Let's also talk about what we want with regard to some qualitative goals and some qualitative guidelines for what we want to achieve three to five years from now. We were having just this really good discussion about what they wanted to be true. And certainly anytime I get to work with teams around the country around this topic of their vision for their finances, the topic of generosity comes up. And I mentioned just very casually, I said, you know, some of the teams that I work with like to dedicate a portion of their profits to a specific charity or cause or ministry in their area. And I said, maybe that could be something that you could consider one day. And they looked at me like I was a crazy person. <laughs> and, and I was like, okay, well, what are you thinking? What's going through your head right now? And they're like, well, everyone in our community just gives 10% no matter what. And, and I like had to do rewind, right? Like, what? say that again. And they said, everyone in our community, almost all of the businesses in our community in, in this area in Brooklyn, New York, all of the, the Orthodox Jewish owned businesses, it's just a given that we give 10% of our profit to causes, ministries, uh, people's needs that aren't necessarily directly tied to our business. Do you realize how mind-blowing that is? That's mind-blowing on so many levels, right? The fact that it's 10% of business profit that they're just giving away, like that's just outrageous generosity, right? We should all take a page out of that playbook because that is what strength is for service is. Let's be very clear. It's saying we've been blessed, we are strong, and therefore we get to be a blessing. Our strength is not for storing up. Our strength is for spending. Our strength is for service. And so that was such a cool moment for 
me just to realize, man, they're giving 10% away. How awesome is that? But then it goes so far above and beyond that. It's so commonplace that they almost didn't even think it was worth mentioning. Generosity can be cultural. Because what is culture? Well, culture is the shared values and behaviors of a group of people. And so they've just established it as the norm. They've just established it as a given that people like us do things like this, as Seth Godin would say. And they go above and beyond to sacrificially give so that other people may benefit. And more often than not, those other people that are benefiting from their sacrificial giving are in no way connected to the profitability of their business. Isn't that just so cool? And so here's what I wrote in the LinkedIn post. I said, generosity can be cultural. It's not even a question. 10% of their business profits go to causes, charities, and ministry. And what's crazy is that they don't really even talk about it or advertise it. It's just assumed. It's a culture of generosity. What would it look like for you to create that type of culture within your family? What would it look like for you to create that type of culture within your team? What would it look like for you to create that type of culture in your community? Let's follow their example and recognize that generosity can be cultural. Okay, lesson number three, connection is crucial. I'm going to read you what I wrote. I learned this one from my longtime friend, Naftali Tesler. Connection is at the core of his mission. Walking around Brooklyn with him is like walking around with the mayor. He's always saying hello, he's making introductions, and he's even yelling out his car window at sometimes at people he knows. And, and here's the important part. Here's what I want you to hear. I have literally seen, I've observed it, I've watched it happen. I have seen people be blessed by the way he proactively pursues connection. And I've also been blessed by it. The word connection is part of Naftali's personal mission statement that we worked on several years ago. And he wants to connect deeply with his family, with his community, and with the word they would use is Hashem, but we would say God. And I just think that's so beautiful because not only is it a principle that he deeply believes, it's a practice that he actively lives and he's constantly looking for opportunities to connect. He's constantly seeking out, and this is the important part, constantly and proactively seeking out opportunities to literally look other people in the eye and have a conversation. And I think we just need to remember that connection is absolutely crucial that if you want to be a leader, you need to be the person that has your people radar on all the time because people are the point. And we need to constantly be looking for ways that we can offer a word of encouragement or that we can smile and say hello or we can ask someone about how something they mentioned last week was going or we can remember someone's name because connection is crucial. And I'll tell you, if you know Naftali, which I know many of you do because he's part of our membership community, so you see him on office hours all the time, you would attest to the fact that he's the poster child. He's the person that we're looking at as the role model for connection so often, and I would say we should follow his lead. 
Okay, we said rest requires discipline. We said generosity can be cultural. We said connection is crucial. Now, the fourth one, this one's really cool. Don't avoid differences, embrace them. Okay, here's what I wrote. It's not a secret that my faith is different than theirs. They know I'm a Christian, yet they've never used that as a reason to avoid me or my company. In fact, many of them are some of our most involved customers at Path for Growth. We have so many of them in our membership, and many of them are also one-on-one coaching customers. As a result, we've had so many fruitful, rewarding, and enlightening conversations about our respective faiths and worldviews. Their willingness to embrace differences made that possible. I just think this is so cool. And it's honestly a little bit funny because you can look at pictures and and in some ways, like you look at the pictures of some of these events that I've gotten to speak at in this community or the time that I've spent with them. It's like, they're all dressed the same. You can tell they're all part of the same tribe. They're all part of the same community. And then you've got some random 30 year old dude that hasn't shaved in a couple weeks that is dressed way differently than them. And it's like, man, you stick out like a sore thumb. It's like, what is going on here? I'm kind of confused. This Something looks out of place. And man, I just think that is so much a picture of the kingdom of God. And, and I don't say this in a bombastic or, or braggadocious way at all. I just think that when we read the Bible, whether Old Testament or New Testament, we see a lot of things that paradoxically don't seem to go together, be together. And I'll tell you, that would not have happened if it wasn't for them pursuing us. They went out of their way to seek out what we were doing, and they did not allow the fact that we were different to block them from being a part of everything that's going on with Path for Growth. And as a result, we've gotten to embrace and learn more about their culture and their community and their faith and their worldview. Man, one of the principles that I've learned about leadership is that transformational leaders always spend more time focusing on what they're for rather than what they're against. And one of the things that I think all of us in my conversations with this community have come away with is the fact that it's like, man, we have way more in common than we have different. Way more. Like, there are so many things that we just deeply and profoundly agree upon. And man, we can talk about what we're for. We can even talk about the things that we may disagree upon or the things that we believe that are different. And we have such constructive and helpful and hopeful conversations. It's it's just so enlivening and so engaging and so different than what so much of the world is doing. And so I want that for you. What would it look like for you to proactively pursue people that are different than you and to not avoid differences, but rather when you coincide with people that are different than you spiritually or philosophically or politically, you press in and you embrace and you say, let's spend more time talking about what we're for rather than what we're against. That's what leadership looks like. And I'm so grateful for their example. Okay, let's move on to the next one. Humility is a prerequisite for growth. This is one that uh, my friend Simcha has really kind of exemplified since I've known him. Here's what I wrote. I said, this one was inspired by my friend Simcha. He lives with such a powerful posture of hungry humility. He always wants to get better. He always assumes he can know more. He regularly requests feedback. He's constantly looking for opportunities to improve as a person and leader. It's an absolute inspiration. And it's the reason why he's always growing. Simcha is just 
a benchmark with regard to this element of healthy growth because he simultaneously always wants to improve, like I said in that writing, right? And, and he's always looking for ways to get better, but it, it's not rooted in this air of superiority. Rather, it's rooted in this posture of humility where he's saying, man, th- there's so much that I don't yet know. And I want to be that type of person that is so aware that the things that I don't know far outpace the number of things that I do. Because we talk about this all the time on this podcast. What is humility? Well, humility is to have an accurate viewpoint of oneself. And for me, whenever I am my most humble, I become uniquely and distinctly aware of how little I actually know. And so it's so cool to engage with Simcha and our conversations are just so cool because he's just constantly asking, hey, how could I have done that better? How could I have done that different? What advice do you have with me in working with my team or working with the leader that I work with or working with our customers? What do you think we could do differently that would create different results? And he, he just always has this assumption that there's room to grow. And what if we live with that assumption? What if you today operated with the posture, operated with the assumption, walked around with the understanding that there's always room to grow. This connects to something we talk about a lot, bad news and good news. Bad news, you are not what you could be. Good news, you are not what you could be. And and so what could you be? Well, man, you could be a stronger man or woman. You could be a stronger husband or wife. You could be a better father or mother. You could be an incredible business person. You could be an outrageous leader. You could be a, a generous pillar of your community. What could you be? And then how could you be about that business of doing those things? But you've got to have the humility to look in the mirror and say, man, I'm not what I could be. And that requires this duality that Simcha exemplifies so well of you've got to be humble, but you've also got to be hungry. Humility is a prerequisite for growth. And the greatest threat to you growing is the idea that you're already grown. There is no figured it out. Sometimes we walk around and I do this sometimes. Like, oh, I just think, oh, I've got it figured out. No, there is no figured out. There, if figuring it out, maybe, right? Getting it, maybe. But there is no, I've got this. What is I've got this? Stop saying I've got this. It's I'm getting this. I'm moving forward. I'm growing, but I'm not grown. Humility is a prerequisite for growth. Okay, let's do two more. Community is king. Here's what I wrote. They spend so much time with each other. In fact, I'd bet that the loneliest epidemic that is ravaging America isn't as prevalent in their few blocks of Brooklyn. They're always having meals. They're always serving each other. They're always celebrating together. It's beautiful. I also don't think it's a coincidence that they don't participate in most of the social media apps. That last sentence is pretty convicting. This is so crucial to understand. Community is king. These people are operating from a posture of strength. And one of the reasons why they're operating with from a posture of strength is that they're not relying on their own stubborn independence. And I think this is at the core of what it means to be a true American. Think about this for a second. Our forefathers, the people that built this country, They had this really unique and distinct combination of being outrageously independent and uncommonly communal. And that's what I observe whenever I get to spend time with this community in Brooklyn, New York, is I see people that are 
outrageously independent. I mean, they are strong people and and they have some get it factor and they're able to get things done and they're able to move things forward and they're able to build businesses. It's such an entrepreneurial community and they're able to create things and they're able to, to initiate and they're able to be proactive and they act like owners. It's so cool. They're outrageously independent. And, and in the midst of being outrageously independent, they're also uncommonly communal and uncommonly, like it's rare how communal they are. In fact, I don't know that I've ever visited anywhere where community is as cultural as what it is in that area of New York, which is also kind of absurd because New York in itself is like the capital of loneliness. And so it's in the middle of this capital of loneliness that you've got this few blocks of Brooklyn where people are just constantly knocking on each other's doors and having meals together and families are spending time together and they're staying up late in the night and having deep conversations and they're not just staring at a screen, but rather they're staring into each other's eyes and they're talking about the next business they could build or the work that they could do or the way that they contribute to their community. And man, we should take something from that. Community is king. And if you want to be someone who is strong in the face of adversity, make sure you've got a deep-seated community. And here's what I would tell you is, is you could say, oh man, apparently I need to go move to Brooklyn, New York and become Jewish. And I mean, I suppose you could do that, but that's not what I'm advocating here. If you feel like you need to move to get community, maybe that means that the community doesn't exist where you are. And maybe it doesn't mean that you need to move. Maybe it means you need to be a leader that creates it. People are starving. People are hungry. People are thirsty. Everyone, and I mean this, everyone. I have not talked to a single person in the past two years that couldn't do with another really good friend. And and so what keeps you isolated? Well, it's this idea that you're the only one. You're not the only one. Everyone around you, your neighbors, the people you sit by at church, the people that you see when you're picking up your kids from school, the person you sit next to at your son's baseball game, every single one of them is looking for people to celebrate with, to eventually maybe have to cry on their shoulder one day, to share meals with, to talk about the big things in life with, and sometimes just to shoot the breeze. And everyone, it's so ridiculous, everyone is waiting on someone to go first. And you know what you have to be in order to go first? Well, you have to be a leader. Community is king. Start building community. Start investing in real relationships. Turn off your stupid phone and look people in the eye. And this is a message just as much for me. But I'll tell you, I haven't shared this on this podcast yet, I don't think. But recently, I kind of came to Arizona to test this out as a home base. And one of the things that I said that I was going to do different than I've ever done before with anywhere I've ever lived was I was just going to show up and walk around and tell people, hey, I could really use some good friends here because I don't know many people. And you know what's crazy is I've met so many people that literally they said, oh, you you want that as well? Because so do I. And now it's like I've got stuff going on every night. Like my calendar's filled to the brim and I need to be focusing on the day of rest, right? But I'd rather have that than being desperately lonely, wouldn't you? So be a leader, pursue community, follow their lead. Okay, let's move on to the seventh lesson. Ritual is essential. Here's what I wrote. 
Perhaps you've heard New York is kind of crazy. Every time I visit, I literally ask myself, how on earth do people live here? I still don't think I could ever live there. Well, I know how the Orthodox Jewish community does it. In the midst of the insanity, they follow a routine of ritual. Prayer, study, meals together, habits, holidays. In the midst of the cultural tornado that is New York City, New York, they stay centered, stable, and strong. This connects to a Jordan Peterson principle that he really illustrates in the book 12 Rules for Life. He talks about the duality of order and chaos. And order is rhythm and routine and structure and process and habit and consistency and predictability and stability. That's order. And what is chaos? Well, chaos isn't just anarchy. Chaos is uncertainty, adventure, spontaneity, unpredictability. And what Jordan says in that book that I think is so brilliant is he says, you, don't, you can't have total order and you also can't have total chaos. What do you want to be? You want to be the force that mediates between the two. And so for the more chaos you experience, for the more uncertainty, spontaneity, unpredictability you experience, the more order you have to introduce. How does this connect? New York is chaos. Have you been there? Truly, I mean, I would get woken up at 3 a.m. in the place that I was staying and there would already be cars honking at each other and people already getting frustrated and upset. And it's like people never go to sleep. It's just like it happens all night. And and then you go outside and, and there's never a time where there's not traffic, right? <laughs> in most of the cities that I visit, it's like, okay, well, if I go at this time, there won't be traffic. That's not a thing in New York. There's always traffic, right? And then, man, if you're in a car, let's not even talk about parking. You think traffic is bad? Let's talk about parking, right? It's like, oh, just plan for me to be 30 minutes late to my meeting because I'm finding a parking spot. And everyone just seems on edge and everyone seems like they're running around with their hair on fire and everyone seems like they're in a hurry and that they're busy and they're, they're going crazy and that there's never enough time so they need to work late into the night and they need to rise early in the day and they're tired so they're just drowning themselves with coffee. And certainly this community isn't immune to that, but I'll tell you, they're a lot more centered, stable, and strong than anyone else I've met in that city. And why is that? Well, I can't tell you how many times I've been visiting with a member of this community where they have to pause what we're doing so that they can engage in their routine of prayer. I can't tell you how cool it is to get picked up by someone for where we're going that day and they've already been at the temple for an hour studying and praying to prepare for the day that's ahead and make sure they're immersed in the things that matter. I can't tell you how cool it is that they've got all of these habits and routines communally where they're constantly seeing each other and engaging in the things that they say are priorities, not just when it's convenient, but rather they don't do it occasionally, they do it consistently. It's such a blessing. It's such a gift. And what does it look like? It looks like ritual. And I'll tell you, you don't have to move to Brooklyn, New York to have ritual think every single one of you could use some ritual. I know I could use some ritual. And so what would it look like to elevate the sacredness of what keeps you centered? Think about that for a second. What would it look like to elevate the sacredness of what keeps you centered? What would it look like to have moments strategically placed throughout your day that exist for the specific stated purpose 
of you lifting your eyes above the day-to-day turmoil, tasks, and activities to focus on the kingdom of God, to focus on the things that actually matter. What type of person could that make you into? What type of chaos would that give you the ability to weather? How much would you be able to serve your community if you engaged in a practice of ritual? Ritual is essential. Y'all, I'm so grateful to you for listening to this, and I'm so grateful to that community for welcoming me in in the way that they have. Naftali, Hershey, Yossi, Simcha, y'all are just such good friends of mine, and your people that I deeply respect, leaders that I deeply respect. And what's so cool is by meeting your teams and by meeting the other leaders there and um, by getting to spend time with so many people, uh, I just feel like such a friend to y'all. And it's something that I'm so deeply grateful for, and it's something that I feel so profoundly blessed by. And I just want you to know, and I want you to know this from me personally, your example is a light that is inspiring to me, and I know it will be inspiring to so many others. And I'm so grateful and blessed by the fact that the reality that we believe different things from a faith perspective has not gotten in the way of the common ground that we do have and the common values that we do share. I think the world of y'all, I'm grateful to call you my friends, and I'm excited to continue learning from you as leaders. To everyone listening to this episode, uh, I hope we follow their example. And hey, if you want more content like this, we send written content every single Wednesday in an email called Worth It Wednesday. This is an email that I write uh, strictly because I believe that most email isn't worth it. And so we try to set out to create one email a week that is uh, every week I write a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation worth taking. We also include a quick you know, five-minute video that explains and elaborates more on the principle, similar to the way that I did on this podcast today. So if you want to sign up for that, you can do so at pathforgrowth.com or on the link that's in the show notes. Y'all, you know this. We're grateful for you. We're rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Thank you.